0: Today's passage we're going to look at today, I, I, was, I was looking at, as I was studying for the classes, being placed, once again, in this position of, of need, this position of desperation. And I appreciate the music team choosing the music they did today, but that whole idea of, of desperation and while I was talking at the college, I was looking at three things that God does in our lives to put us in this place of desperation for himself. I, I looked at the focus that he gives us, meaning the focus of who Jesus is. The, the, seeing him for who he is, I believe, seeing him for who he is, not for what we want him to be. In all his majesty and all his glory, we looked at 1 8 Colossians chapter 1, how he is the image of the invisible God, how, he, how all things are made by him and, and for him. And, and you have this, this wonderful picture of, of Jesus' greatness. And when you see the greatness of Jesus, you realize how privileged we are to be called his children. And so, when you're, and I feel this when I stand against some of you guys, just how smart you are and how intelligent you are, and how sort of like business savvy you are, and I I stand next to you, and I feel very humbled when I stand next to you because I'm not that way. So when I look at Jesus, I see how great he is, and how he allows me into his presence, that by his son, as Ali shared, how his son and his sacrifice, his giving of his life enables me to be called his child through faith in him, and he brings me up to his level. And I think that's so humbling. And so when you have the right focus, yeah, that that puts you in desperation because you're so thankful for, for God allowing you to be called his child. And then we looked at consequences. Consequences, I believe the title I called it, consequences for our own stupid choices, for our own sin, and how God sometimes says, Joe, you want your own way? Okay. And like a parent, parents do this. When parents don't, when parents don't, when kids don't listen to their parents and you're saying, don't do that, don't do that, and the kid's like, don't do that. Don't do that, and then ah, and they hurt themselves, and you're just like ha ha. I'm picturing I'm picturing Ali's parenting, you uh, know, you don't, you don't you, you, but you're sort of like okay, look, I told you, and they sort of let you go, let you go, and that's what God does with us. He lets us get into this position where we are desperate for Him because we're suffering the consequences of our own choices, trying to live our lives separate from God or away from God's ways and away from God's love. And I thought that's really interesting, and then the third. The third one is focus, not focus, discipline. Discipline, the tools that God has given us to enable us to see Him clearly. Uh, the, The disciplines, as we looked at last week, we looked at discipline, that whom the Lord loves, He disciplines and chastens. Whom the Lord loves, He invests into. Whom the Lord loves, He corrects. And then he gives us these tools, these spiritual disciplines of Bible reading, of prayer, of of fellowship, of worship, of evangelism, of meditation, of contemplation, of dwelling in his presence to enable us to see him and to be with him and to know him. In other words, those three things of focus, consequences, and discipline show me this God of involvement, this God that directly involves himself, who, who injects himself, who intervenes and intercedes himself into each of our lives to bring us closer to him. And so today, we're looking at a story of Jacob. Oh, that's the wrong one. It was supposed to be Jacob. Uh, sorry, I'm a terrible speller. Uh, so <laughs> Jacob, Elijah. So we look at this guy in the Bible, right? Okay, so let's pray because I think we need it. All right, let, let, let's and let's let's pray for Penny right now. Okay, <laughs> okay. Oh, no, I know wasn't that wasn't a shame. I'm sorry, that wasn't a shame. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let, okay, let's let me repent. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your love, for your goodness. I thank you that we can have a laugh. I thank you for the freedom that we've been given in Christ to enjoy each other and to enjoy you. And so I pray this morning as we look into your word, you might show us just the beauty of yourself and, and in the truths that are found within the scriptures. You might just revive our spirits. You might you might show us our need for you, that you might put us in this place of desperation where we'll cry out, we will hold on and allow you to transform us. So we commit ourselves to now, and, and, and I do thank you for my sister Penny and for her willingness to serve. Bless her, bless all the AV team and the people who are serving, and, and please help me, Lord, to uh, well, just to be honoring you and honoring others for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, once more, uh, hey, Jacob! I, <laughs> Woo, I did spell it right. I was really worried there. Yeah, okay. okay. Just fulfill a Polynesian stereotype that we can't spell. So, yeah, we can spell. Okay, there we go. Now, if you have a look, at, in Genesis, so we're looking at Jacob, and we're specifically going to be looking at Genesis chapter 32. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 32. I, I don't know if the batteries are still good in this. It doesn't look like this is working. Just cue you. Okay, so I'll point at you, and I'll click there for you. Okay. All right. Now, what's really interesting when you look at Genesis chapter 32 is that Jacob is put in this position of need, as I've mentioned before, but more accurately, it's a position of desperation. It's a position of desperation, and this position of desperation that he finds himself in is of his own doing. It's a consequence of his own doing. He's suffering this consequence because it's the selfish choices that he's made throughout throughout his life that have brought him to this point. And what I want us to look at is how we can see God use either the places that he puts us in or the places we put ourselves in for to be desperate for him. For example, he deceived, that worked so well. For example, he deceived his brother to rob him of his birthright in Genesis 25, 27 to 34 for a bowl of feed. That's all it was basically. Esau comes back, I'm so hungry. He says, I'll give you some food if you give me the birthright. So what does Esau do? He takes it. So he uses that and manipulates that situation for his own benefit. Then, later on, he deceives his father, with his mother's help, by the way, to take the blessing that was reserved for the firstborn for himself in Genesis 27, verses 1 to 40. So Esau's attitude, like an older brother that's been done dirty by the younger sibling, he's pretty angry. And this attitude that he has, because he's had his birthright manipulated and taken away from him, his blessing stolen from him, we read this in Genesis 27, 41, and it explains why Jacob would be feeling or would be so desperate. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near because Jacob was going to die soon. Then I will kill my brother. That obviously made caught wind by Jacob. So what does Jacob do? He runs. And in his running, God encounters him. He encounters God, the God of his father and of his grandfather who involves himself and who makes himself known in a dream. I've paraphrased it up there, but this is what the passage says. If you want it in your Bibles, look at Genesis 28, verses 13 to 15. It says, "There above," meaning as he was sleeping, he was dreaming of this stairway or this ladder into the heavens, and angels were descending and ascending up into heaven. And in verse 20, oh, sorry, in verse 13, we read, "There above it," as in "there above the ladder," "there above the staircase." And will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then we read of Jacob's adventures from chapters 28 to 31. There's the marrying of his wives, where the deceiver, Jacob, which means liar or deceiver figuratively, he gets deceived into marrying two women. Well, the older sister, Leah, and then finally marrying the younger sister, Rachel. And then he has kids, and, and, and then he ends up what, increasing his wealth through some really, like some speckled sheep and stuff. And then he ends up running from Laban, his father-in-law, the one who deceived him in the first place, which resulted in him receiving instruction from God in Genesis 31, verse 3, which I'm not going to read. You can look at it and take note of it. And this instruction says this, go back to your homeland. Go back to where Esau is. Go back to where your brother, the one you did the dirty on, go. Now, God doesn't mention Esau, but he just says, go back to your homeland. And the first thing Jacob thinks about is, yeah, my brother's there. Okay, okay. Okay, so we have a couple of passages we'll look at, and I'm praying as we go that God will just, I don't know, I may stop early, I may stop late, okay? So first one is this, the first passage we're looking at is what I call the prayer of Jacob. This prayer is preceded by Jacob taking practical steps and following by Jacob taking more practical steps. Now, the first practical steps, sort of like from the first part of the chapter, is Jacob basically sending messengers out and trying to get a feel for where his brother is at. He sends out these messengers, and he's like, okay, I, I want them to go and just let them know that we're, we're showing up, that there's all this stuff that I have, that we're coming back into our homeland. So he basically wants to pre-warn or, or find out where his brother is. Does his brother still want to kill him? Is his brother still angry? Is his brother... So he's holding on to all of these things. So these first steps were about self-preservation. He divides his camp because he's got great wealth. He's got heaps of servants. He divides his camp into two. And he says to himself, all right, well, if one camp gets attacked, the other camp can survive. So he puts in these steps. When he sends the messengers forth, this is the response that he gets from his messengers, okay? It says, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he is coming to meet you. That's not what you want to hear, eh? We said, and then it goes, and 400 men are with him. Ooh, that's not good. That's not good. You sit there, you send the guy out. Hey, go find out what the thing is. Uh, Yeah, yeah, He's. it's like when you send your kids somewhere or if you go somewhere and there's like that guy that you don't want around and you say to them, like, just let them know, leave it at that. Or it's like your CEO, it might be Jimmy. Where's, where's Sean? There's Sean. Hey, Sean. It might be Jimmy. It might be Jimmy. And they sit there, oh, well, just tell Jimmy I'm doing this. And then the message goes out and then you find out, hey, Jimmy's coming. And Sean's like, I don't want to see Jimmy. I just, I didn't want to see him. I don't want to see the boss. I just want to let him know that's what I was doing. That's essentially what's happened here. But in this case, Jacob is thinking about his own life, his own protection. I mean, how is that for not hearing what you want to hear? How often do we jump into solutions without seeking God, which results in us making things far worse than they could have been? Because that's essentially what Jacob did. That's why in Proverbs 14, 12, which is up there, this is from the New King James, there is a way that seems to be right to a man, but the end is the way of death. So this place of need from fear of the unknown that Jacob is experiencing now moves to a, a fear of desperation from the inevitable conflict that he's going to have. And so what then does that do For Jacob, it drives him to pray. If you look in those verses, look in your Bibles. I'll read it out to you, but look in your Bibles. From verses 9 to 12 of chapter 32, we read this. Then Jacob prayed. So he made things worse, then he prays. That's the first lesson we learn, isn't it? Don't make things worse to pray. Pray before you make things worse. That, that's, I mean, it's that's, that's pretty basic, really. But he says, Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. I want you to take notice of how he prays. I want you to take notice of what he prays. Because how he prays, one, there is an attitude of humility, yes. But what he prays is reminding or recounting, not that God has forgotten, not that God has dismissed it, but what he does is he re-repeats in his prayer the words and the promises of God that he had made to him. Did you notice that? Because when you look, he says, You said to me, and then God gave him instruction. You, God, said to me, go back to my homeland. You, God, said to me, go back and claim this promised land that you said you are gonna give me. You said that, I'm doing what you asked me to do. I'm obeying your word in my life. Okay, if, if, that's, if that's what you ask me to do, then I'll do it. So essentially, and I don't want to sound arrogant, nor do I want to sound disrespectful, but essentially what he's saying is, Lord, um, if I'm doing what you're doing, then that's, that's your problem too. This is what you're asking me, and, and if this is your problem too, then, then please help me deal with what's in front of me. He says, you have said, and then he talks about the covenant that he had made with them. That this land would be his. It isn't presumption on Jacob's part. It isn't discontent upon which these quotes are made. Because the humility of verse 10 shows that. But he is inquiring of the Lord through the Lord's words. That in order for God's word to be fulfilled means God needs to be involved. Needs that he needs to act. And I have seen this in the likes of Pastor Ben. I have seen this in the likes of Pastor John. I have seen this in some of the godly men that we have in this church. I've seen this in, in my grandmother. I've seen this in some of my people that have mentored me that when they pray, they pray in alignment with God's word. Because as they pray God's word into people's lives, what? It becomes God's issue because he promised, for example, what God has been really burdening my heart with is his promise to build his church, that the gates of hell will not stand against it. That's what Jesus promised. And so when I pray, I say, Lord, I, I bring this before you. You promised to build it. Help me to join you in that building. What small part do I play in you building your church? The small part that I play in sharing the word. The small part that I play in praying for you. The small part that I play by fellowshipping with you. The small part that people play by play, by making coffees in the morning. The small part that people play by, by going out and to the gym with, with brothers and sisters. The small part that people play by, by just inviting people over for dinner. What's the small part that you can play for Jesus to build his church through you, the small part that we can play. That's what, if Jesus has promised that, and here's what's crazy. I look and I see young people. I see Jenna trying to hide from me. But I see the young people and the small part that they play in building Jesus' church by the light that they shine in the high school. I look and I see uncles and aunties who have retired because they've, they've, they've put in the hard yards and the small part that they can play by, by praying for brothers and sisters here, by, by, by imparting the wisdom that you've accumulated over decades. And that's no disrespect, but over decades and to impart that to those of us that are young and, and immature. And I'm, I don't mean me. I'm immature. I, I'm, I like to think I'm young, but that's me. To have the likes of Uncle Fred and, and Uncle Uncle Eugene and, and Uncle Siwan and, and Auntie Judy and, and, and Auntie Eng Hong, to have them, through their fellowship, play a part in investing into me and building his church. It's the small part that people play. Okay? And it's and, and that's what that's what I mean then, in terms of praying and alignment, what what God's will is in the lives of others. And, and it's a great lesson for us to take on today, that, that our prayers, that, that our requests, that our crying out, whether in peace or in chaos, whether in joy or in pain, whether in abundance or in lack, that they can be heard as we pray in alignment with God's word and God's will. And in that communion, have the, the word of God spoken into our lives. And the word of God transforming our lives. How does faith grow? How does faith birth? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that takes place in us. That's why we have the the, the purposes and, and, and the promises of God made evident to us. As we look at like, for example, John 16, 24. Until now you have asked, sorry, you have not asked for anything in my name ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete 1 John chapter 5 verse 14 this is the confidence we have in approaching god that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us see these privileges that we have even even in this prayer that jacob has for his family and for his life is a small prayer that we can have as well, to ask in Jesus' name, to ask to see God move, but that to ask in accordance with God's will. Because after his prayer, after his prayer, his action reflects a slight change of attitude. In verses 13 to 21, Jacob does what he can to try and appease his brother, before it was just sending, the first set of, of steps he takes is just, what can I do to save myself? After the prayer, the second set of steps are slightly different, he sends gifts He sends messengers, and he sends them in different parties, several parties he sends. And he sends the first one, and he says, when you come across Esau and his 400 men, and they ask you who it is, then say this. It's in verse 4. They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. And then he says, okay, if he passes you, then the next group say the same thing these belong to your servant Jacob, but they are gifts to Esau, and and he's right behind us. And if they pass that group, then the next one, oh, these belong to your servant Jacob. And there's maybe about four or five little parties of where Jacob, now Jacob's not trying to buy him off. Jacob's not trying to buy him off. Jacob's not trying to to sit there and think, okay, man, maybe, maybe if I can bribe him. No, he's not doing that in this one. I don't see that there. You know what I see that as? I see that as the consequence Of his sin because he knew what he did was wrong. He knew how he manipulated the situation, how he deceived his brother, and that his brother's hatred, his brother's anger is well deserved. And for him sacrificing a small bit of wealth to appease for the deception that he had done, I think he took it on the chin. You hear that phrase take it on the chin like a man. That's essentially what Jacob's doing here. He's taking responsibility for his actions and he's offering not as a payment or a buy-off, but as a sign of respect to say, these belong to you because I stole them from you. Now, while we are told that Jacob sought to pacify his brother through these gifts in verse 20, it wasn't, it wasn't Jacob not trusting God. It wasn't Jacob doubting God. His, his role in God's call back to this homeland. It was him playing his part and to do what he could as diligently as he can to honor God and to heal the relationship he broke with his brother. If you have a look at these passages, Proverbs 16, verse 3, he committed to the Lord whatever he did and it was the Lord that would establish his plans. Verse 9, that a man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. See, he, was, he did what he could to the best of his ability and entrusted God with the rest. When Moses' mother, Jochebed, when she made the ark of bulrushes for Moses to go into, to put in the Nile, she didn't do like a dodgy brothers, eh? She didn't just throw down a plank of wood, put down a rubber, like a rubber floaty, chuck the baby on it and said off you go. Now, she would have made that ark of bulrushes to the best of her ability. She would have played her part as best as she could to place her baby in there and then commit her baby to God. That's what he, she would have done. When I look and I see, like, uh, Samson, Samson, Mr. Long Haired Samson, with this, how many dreadlocks does, do people know Samson had? He actually had, anyone know? He had seven dreadlocks. That's really cool. I learned that from the, uh, oh, Anyway, I'll talk about that later. Okay, but he had seven dreadlocks. So you got this man with seven dreadlocks and he's strong. He gets surrounded by all these Philistines. Did his picking up the jawbone of an ass show that he doubted the power of God through him? No. He picked it up and smoted, just smoted a thousand Philistines. Just smote is such a good word. He smoted and killed Philistine after Philistine. He didn't doubt God's power. He didn't need the jawbone of an ass. But he took it, and to the best of his ability, he swang away, and God delivered him a great victory. Paul's appeal to Rome in Acts 25 was not a lack of faith, but it was what God used to get him to Rome to represent him. Okay? Thus, Jacob giving up his wealth to pacify his brother was a consequence of his deceitful dealings with him. He knows and accepts why his brother would still be mad and is giving what he can see as a deserved penalty for stealing from him. Now, there are aspects of our Christian journey where we play a part, where we play our part in seeing God's will come to pass. The things we choose to do that fulfill our part in walking with Jesus. I know our salvation, that is 100% all of God. In our lives as we walk with Jesus, it does not exempt us from our responsibility in our walk with God. Okay, for example, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 to 26, it speaks about how you cannot go and offer a sacrifice on the altar if you still have an issue with your brother or with your sister. What do the scriptures teach? It says in, in verse 24, go be reconciled to them and then offer your gift. So you have God's part, yeah, I want to honor, I want to bless, I want to encourage, I want to establish. But if you've got something with your brother, God's saying, no, no, no. You've got something with your brother. You've got something with your sister. There is broken relationship that does not reflect the unity that I have in my body. Deal with it. And so you leave it there and you go, Jono, I'm so sorry. I pick on you all the time when I preach a sermon. Please forgive me. And then he forgives me. And then I can come back and give my, 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 but you know, that's not gonna happen. Okay, but you know what I mean? That's what happens. And that's why when we look at the scriptures, we see things like this. It means exercising forgiveness because we have been forgiven. It means, uh, it means loving as Jesus loves us. It means living holy because he is holy. It means playing our part in having Jesus reveal to us his word so that we in turn are able to do his word, being doers of the word, not hearers only. But here's the thing, and, 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 and I asked Tommy, not Tommy, I asked Tommy and I asked Jono this question, and I want you to hold on to this. See, it means about us living the life of Jesus Or rather, Jesus living his life through us. But what does that mean? I didn't mean to yell. What does that mean to have Jesus live his life through you? What does that look like? How was that expressed? I was thinking, I was in the shower and I was just praying. I haven't got this written down. So I, I was praying over this. And, and the person that came to mind, Brendan. Brendan is an amazing drummer. Not, not taking away from, from Simon or, or from, there's a guy Logan who comes on Friday or Chris or anyone else. But I remember we had a lavish one night and uh, there was a couple of people who came and one of them was a drummer for a band. And I was, I was worshiping next to him and I hear him say to me, who's that drummer? I says that's Brendan. And he just goes, he's good. And I says, and I, and I says look, I don't know. <laughs> I, I was like, I, I don't know. I said, what makes him good? And he says, just his flow. He's just got this flow. He, he, he feels the music. He, he moves so fluidly. It's, it's just so natural to him. And the reason why that struck me is because him, Brendan, and, and don't worry, Bre- Brendan is a great drummer, but what I know is, see, when Brendan is part of an, an ensemble, when, when, when Brendan's part of the band and he, and he plays his part, what happens? Over years of, of practice, how long have you been playing the drums, Brendan? Ten years. More than that, bro. I thought he was going to sit there and say, only a year, only a year, because I am just that skilled. So how long? You, over 10 years, bro, surely. Okay, let's say, okay, I'll, I'll make up it. 20 years. 20 years. Twice that. At least 20. At least 20. How old are you now? 20? No, just kidding. All right, so here's what's really amazing, though. See, see he, he, he knows the music. He knows the music. And he has freedom to function as who he is in the music. And so when he's, when he's doing this thing, I don't know what it's supposed to look like when you drum. But... <laughs> When he's, doing, when, he's doing, when he's doing his drumming and when he's getting into it, okay, and he's, and he's, for want of a better expression, he's feeling, he's immersed. He's immersed in the moment. He's immersed in the music, which allows him to do his little like, when he wants, that allows him to have those little bit of liberties to, 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 to sort of embellish and to actually, I guess you say, improve what's being performed up here. Okay? Why? Because he knows the music. He knows that he knows the pace. He knows the rhythm and it allows him the freedom to be who he is in that space and in that rhythm. It's the music flowing through him and through his expression of that music. You know what our sheet music is? Our sheet music is the word of God. Our sheet music is the Word of God, and that as the Word of God that we come to know, then when we learn about who Jesus is, that when we know His heart, that when we know His values, when we, need, we know His, His purposes and His ways and His goals, what happens is this, the Spirit of God provides through the Word of God a rhythm, a rhythm about how we are to live a rhythm that naturally takes over about how I treat my wife, about how I treat my kids, about how I treat you. And and that love that, that flows through us, the love of Jesus as Jesus is himself in us. This transformation takes place where you don't like those things of the world, where you don't desire those things of the world, because it interrupts your rhythm. It interrupts that rhythm of grace that God is working in each of your lives. But you know what that means? It took him the 20 years that I made up for him to get to that level to let them to be immersed in the music and have it expressed in such a way, such a beautiful way. Which means that for us, no matter how long we've been a Christian, we've been a Christian one year, been a Christian 60 years, that we're always looking to have that rhythm expressed through us. That is, Jesus is Himself in us. He takes us and moves us in line with Himself. So get to know your sheet music. Learn your sheet music well so you don't need to be sitting there looking at it all the time. And plant the sheet music within your heart. so then the Spirit of God will take it and move you in line with His rhythm as you go out into the world in everyday life. That's what He wants to do in you. It's the reason why Jesus died and rose again, so you could experience that rhythm in your life, in every single aspect of your life, as a grandparent, as a parent, as a school student, as a a partner in a firm, as a guitar player, whatever it might be. And you see that expressed and lived out. That's what he wants to do in you. That's what he wants to do in me. But that means you've got to take that step of one, praying, yes, but in that prayer, allowing God to live his life through you. Yeah, that makes sense. And if you don't understand the, 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 um, the musical analogy, I could do a sports analogy for you, but talk to me about that one after. But I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to stop it there, eh? I want to stop it there, because I, I want you to take that reality of Jesus being himself in you and through you And I want you to chew that over and what that looks like. I want you to see how that changes the way you live, the things that you do or choose not to do. I want to see how it looks in real time and in real life for you. That's what I want each of us to participate of the rhythm that God has for each of us, not only as individuals, but as a church. And that starts with us crying out to him just like Jacob did, okay? So I'm gonna end it there. We'll do part two next week. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I am, I'm just overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by the sheer greatness of who you are, that you have invited us to be part of this this rhythm that you have set in place, that you have invited us like, like Jacob would to, to be in this place of desperation and, and to ask you to, to open our eyes to see the movements and the steps that you are taking in each of our lives as, as individuals but in our life as a church. We want to walk in time with you. We want to hear your voice. We want to respond to your leading and, and, and we are so ill-equipped We are so insensitive to to what your Spirit is doing in our lives. And so I pray you will help us, that you will give us the, the courage and the boldness to repent of the things that are affecting us, that you will help us to do away and take practical steps to lay those things aside within our own personal lives or the things that are around us that are influencing or crowding out your voice. All I know, Lord, is that we need your help. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you And pray that you will have your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the extent and and the greatness of your love that has gone to save people such as us. And I ask that you would revive our souls. You will quicken our spirits. You will stir our hearts to thirst and to long for more of you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much for that, brothers and sisters. Thank you very much, everybody else. Uh, have a great time at home. Have, have a listen for the rhythm of what God is doing in your life this week. Catch you later. See you.